How do you bring people together in a new and different way and put ideas out there? And the, the hard thing is, it's so easy. If you tweet one thing, right? Or you put something on Instagram or Facebook, it gets twisted immediately. And to your point, those collective assumptions get read into all those posts. The only way you change that is in real interactions in person with people. And actually, your podcast is a great way to do that too, right? These are longer form interviews and questions to get to know someone. I It's actually one of my least favorite parts about being mayor is having to deal with the assumptions. Mm-hmm. I like bunking them. I like interacting with someone for the first time in person like, oh, you're a lot different than I assumed or I thought you were such and such and I assumed this. And then they get to meet me and they realize none of that's true. And I think we're just, as humans, we're going to have to work much harder on that. Welcome to The Climb. I'm your host, Michael Moore. And today we are joined by Fort Worth Mayor Maddie Parker. And as she likes to say, it's go time. So welcome, Mayor Parker. Good morning. Happy Monday morning. Happy Monday morning to you. Let's get it kicked off and ready to go. You know, I was doing some research on this podcast because I'm super excited to sit down and talk to you. I've known you for a long time and and certainly been very interested in your climb uh, to where you are today. And I think just because I had the opportunity to work in the Capitol the same time former uh, Texas speaker Tom Craddock was there. I really appreciated a quote I read that he said about you that just said your determination and commitment to doing what's right for all citizens of Fort Worth will serve the community now and in the years ahead. So I just want to thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Tom should know, right? He's been he's the longest serving House member in Texas history. That's exactly right. (laughs) No, he's um, I mean, what a piece of work. So I was out at this conference, and it's this organization I'm involved in, and the leader of it, Michael Davidson, has been on this podcast, and it's called Alder, and it's a invitation-only group of people focused on generational leadership. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we talked about was just the frailty of democracy. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that it was actually created, right? Yeah. It was created right here in the United States, but you know, as anything, whether it's a wall or a building, you start seeing these little crumbles and you get real worried about the protection of that and where it's headed. And and there was this quote from Alexis de Tocqueville that just talked about, you know, his study of democracy and the importance of equality. And so on this Monday morning, give us some thoughts on equality and democracy and where it's headed. We're going deep this morning. I'm st- I usually kind of let you ease in and yeah. I go back to like your roots and where you're from. Yeah. But this morning we're jumping right in. Uh, so funny side story before I answer your question. I kept all of my government political science books from UT mostly. And they're all on two shelves on one of these bookshelves in my house. And my 11 year old who's a smart kid and he's starting to pick up things. He picked up, he's like, where's this Toke fellow? What do I, what do I <laughs> want to read about him? I said, that might be light reading later in the summer. I yeah. don't know. I, I have actually told my friends this recently and maybe public as well. I am worried about the state of democracy and just who's willing to serve in office. So think about it. We're all guilty of this. And I certainly was before I was in an elected office and still am. It's really easy to point fingers at those that serve, that have chosen to put their name on a ballot in any level of government, whether you're on city council or you're a member of Congress or a, you know, a senator. And we're constantly criticizing the things they say, the things they do, things they don't do. And because of that, I do realize, I do worry that we are in a, a situation where democracy is frail. Mm-hmm. And who on earth 
would ever want to put their name on a ballot and serve, right? It's a huge sacrifice. The spotlight is always on you. And it's an incredible balancing act. And I think for me in this office, fortunately, we do run nonpartisan. I am able and really should be constantly working to build consensus and bring people together. I don't have the same pressures that colleagues do at different levels of government because of the party they belong to. I realize that's really difficult. And so I guess my message would be, you can't fix the frailty of democracy if those of us that are in the communities aren't voting, Mm -hmm. aren't participating, and quit being so snarky. Not everything is on Twitter, you know? And the, I've done this recently in the last few months, like I'll get a DM from somebody, let's say, and they'll criticize something I've done. And one was pretty ugly. I knew who the person was. And so I responded personally to the message. And that individual responded back within 12 hours, like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I can't Mm. believe I said that. Yeah. My point in saying that is there are human beings on the other end of your DM or your tweet, and you have no knowledge. We a collective we, we have no back background or knowledge. It's really easy to armchair quarterback. Yep. And believe me, there's plenty of time we need to criticize, right? But if you're not in the game and you're not participating, do we really have a, you know, a reason or ability to criticize fairly? And I don't think we do. And that's sort of what's happened now in politics and our democracy. And I do worry about the future. I think there's a reason why there aren't many people that look like me in the same stage of life as David and I are in mm-hmm. serving because the sacrifice is so great. But I still believe really firmly that that's what good governance looks like is people that are living the day-to-day of what will actually impact my kids at home. So that's a long answer to your question, but I think you're right on. I'm glad that there were people at your level talking about that because I think it's important. Well, I knew I could dive right in and get just a killer answer like that right off the bat. So I, I'd appreciate that. And and you're right. I mean, you you mentioned Speaker Craddock's run, you know, is the longest in that spot. My grandfather was the longest serving mayor in U.S. history. Yeah. Uh, he filled an unfulfilled term in 1947 when he got back from World War II and was still mayor when he died in 2012. Isn't that amazing? I don't know that you want to be mayor for that long, Mayor Parker. No, I don't. I don't. (laughs) But we're certainly, you know, happy to have you here. And you just, you proved um, something that not, you know, I think most people know, but not everybody knows. Uh, Being the youngest mayor of a major city and throwing out things like DM, Mm -hmm. you know, not a lot of mayors would even know what that is. So (laughs) talk through that that sacrifice that you were willing to make. And I love that you say to serve, because that really is your job. So how did you collectively with your husband and your kids say, okay, this is my time. This is my place. This is my passion. This is my mission. I'm going for this. It was a hard, hard decision. And we didn't have a lot of time to decide either. This was not something that I really aspired to do, frankly, or really thought was in the cards for me. And my husband, David, is so supportive. But like any husband should, like, let's ask the tough questions. We really want to do this. And David's been around politics just as much, if not more than me. And so he knows firsthand kind of the characters you have to deal with and all the good and bad. And so, but once we decided to do it, we're fiercely competitive. And we we wanted to make sure the Parker family name is is held at a really high standard. And we also have... Our, our, we have three kids, but the Duke boys were at home during the campaign. And Laney is about to turn six next week. And he 
he understood it to a certain degree. Actually, he would know, he knows yard signs, he knows who's running for what office. So for a five-year-old, he's pretty astute. But our 11-year-old is especially important because Grayson was going to see and still does every piece of mail that comes in the house, he knew. He wanted to understand the ins and outs of a campaign. If things were negative against me, he, I've kind of, I, I tried to help teach him, you know, how to put your barrier up a little bit mm-hmm. to not let it bother you too much. So it, it is a family decision. And I, and candidly, I'm not there yet in terms of what the balance should look like. The first six months were really hard mm-hmm. because I thought there were a lot of pressures on the job. I'm attempting to fill the shoes of someone who I dearly love as a mentor and as a dear friend who did an awesome job for 10 years as mayor, recognizing that my tenure will be different. The city is very different than when Betsy took office, you know, 11 plus years ago, making it my own, building a staff around me to support me in this work and recognizing that my family will come first. And so like even that somebody recently asked me this weekend, are y'all going to get to travel this weekend? Do you get to travel when you're married? I was like, yes, my kids are five and 11. We are going on vacations this summer. Like <laughs> I'm not stealing their childhood because I'm mayor. Right. And then lastly, recognizing that we're not a strong mayor city. You know, I have a city management team that work full time on behalf of the city of Fort Worth. And my, my job, I believe, is to be the chair of the board and work with council members to help in the districts and push things forward and have a really good pulse on Fort Worth to keep us in the boundaries, I think, that makes us really special in the city and help us progress. I don't have to do it all on my own. Yeah. And so all of those factors, I'm at a year mark right now. I'm really excited about this next year to kind of see, okay, what have I learned the hard way in this last year? And what do I want to accomplish moving forward as we think about the second year in office? So you brought up another interesting point that the office of the mayor is nonpartisan. But in reality, when you're thinking about a campaign or running and thinking about the people that, I don't know if hope's the right word, but that you're attracting to the campaign to either contribute or be involved or be a voice, politics creeps its way in. So how do you you balance that? Well, I think, for me, maybe it was helpful that it was no secret I'm a Republican, right? right. I've, I've voted in every Republican primary. I've worked for Republicans. And that's something that's just a part of my pedigree. Good, better, and different. What I had to learn is that, unfortunately, in this season we're in politically, if you say you're a Republican or a Democrat in specific crowds, half the audience stops listening. Mm-hmm. So I had to find a way, in, and I went to every single forum I was invited to. I don't think many candidates did that, whether it was on Zoom or in person, small or large. I'd show up and people would go, I can't believe you're here. Mm-hmm. I'm here, right? And my point in saying this, I knew the math, Michael, to be mayor of Fort Worth or really any large city, you have to appeal to Republicans, Democrats, and independents. Right. And that's how I'm in this office, Right is you could not be a hard right or a hard left candidate. And furthermore, you shouldn't be because that's not how you govern as mayor. You know, right now there are nine of us that sit on the dais. We have very different perspectives and every day come at it from a different angle. And if I want to be successful, I'm one vote and I have to be able to work with people that are proverbially across the side of the other side of the aisle and understand where they're coming from and try to bring them to consensus as best as possible. And the best example I can give you is redistricting, mm-hmm. right? I was dreading that. I knew what that was going to be like. And it was it was just as hard as I anticipated. And about two or three months before we took a final vote, which by the way was 9-0 unanimous, I could have been the swing vote. Mm-hmm. And we could have voted on a map that was going to completely fracture the council and the community, really. 
And I said publicly, I am not your swing vote on this. If you guys can't find some kind of better consensus, we're going to keep going. And so we kept going for another month and a half. And I do think that's my job, right? And so I do get frustrated when I express frustrations about political party right now, even as a Republican. It's because I just worry about that pendulum keeps swinging right. really far right and really far left. And that's just not how you govern. It's not how you run your business, no. right? It's not how you make a profit. It's how you bring ROI to your, your clients. Right. And I wish we would remember that in our respective political offices. And then that last thing I'll say, I do know as well, the media does turn things up in a way. And I know that at you know, the U.S. Senate level, Corning gets along with Schumer, right? Mm-hmm. They, can, they can be friends. You don't see that necessarily. Right. But behind closed doors, they know how to behave. So I, I guess the media kind of just spin it out of control a bit as well. But I'm thankful we don't run partisan in Fort Worth. Yeah. But recognizing that I've had, I still have circles of people to just make assumptions about me because of the party I belong to. So that's okay. But maybe you're hitting the point where it needs to be hit, which is like if if people would just be true to their core and their values and say what they are rather than become malleable to the expectation of what they should be or what other people want them to be. So I am a Republican. I have voted in every single primary. You've got this, these stats that you are who you are. And so if you go back and look at like the the great politicians that were able to reach across the aisle and make things work, mm-hmm. I think that's probably a commonality trait you would find is that they had this set of core values and they didn't waver from that. Mm-hmm. And and so therefore maybe the the genuine aspect was there and they were more believable. I mean, what's your, what are your thoughts on that? I hope that's true. I will say that anyone that publicly right now, whether they belong to the Democratic Party or Republican Party, I think if you're publicly talking negatively about your own party or saying you disagree with something, I do think they get a slap back. Mm-hmm. That's happened to me. Yeah. I don't care. Right. But, but I <laughs> do think that, that. happens. Yeah, I think that happens on both sides. And I've talked to my friends that are Democrats that feel the same way. But that's the machine. That's not regular people. I really believe that the vast majority of Americans or Texans in this case sit somewhere in the 80% in the middle, right? And you've seen those diagrams, like maybe they're further left or further right, but they're somewhere in the middle. And we, the collective we, have allowed being a moderate left or right to be something that's wrong with you. And that's fundamentally not true. Mm -hmm. We've just created that dynamic because of the way the primary systems run and really 10% of each party select candidates every single primary. And so you've created this dynamic which causes people to go to the fringes, right? And do I have a solution for that? No, I just know that while I'm governing, we're gonna govern from the middle. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean I compromise on my principles because you're gonna see me sometimes take a really hard stand and be willing to lose because I feel like that's what's right, right? Right. But it it also means that sometimes it is okay to say, okay, I can't totally agree with you here, but what if we come this direction mm-hmm. a little bit? And importantly, help my fellow council members get work done in their respective districts that they need done as well, recognizing that maybe they have a more enhanced perspective because of their focus in that specific district in Fort Worth. So you mentioned the math behind it, because I think that is interesting. You know, I spent a, a little time in politics, working campaigns and understanding, you know, whether it's a, it's a district that somebody's going to get elected in or a state or, or across the U.S., math matters. Yeah. And it's a, it's a really frightening, abysmal number of 
how many people actually show up to vote. I think 5% voted in our bond election. <laughs> so, so, so if you, if you think about that and then you think about the role of the media too, cause mm -hmm. you brought that up and I want to unpack that a little bit, you know, you really are chasing these, these outliers that can, can swing things. And so whether it's, you know, political strategists on the Republican side saying, okay, we're starting to see some criteria here that makes us think we can go attract more Hispanic votes. How do you think through all that? I don't know yet. I, I lived through one campaign, right, which was unique because there were 10 of us running down to two. Right. It was a really long, expensive race. And we, are, we actually had the best municipal turnout we've ever had in an election. It was still low, mm -hmm. but it was better than ever. And it was, at times, it was exhausting the whole time. But I will say I was thankful that I had so much experience in politics. I mean, I'd worked for 17 years on campaign and official side. So I knew the game. Mm -hmm. And I knew how to stand up and say, that is not going on my mailer. This is the messaging I'm comfortable with. And I had a great team around me too, so that not like they didn't identify with who I was. Right. But you know, I was building name ID from nothing, from 1%. I'd never held office before and had to build from there. And then also recognizing there was this new pressure being a younger candidate to how to use social media wisely and how to reach people. So when it thinks about future elections and, and when people that are running in partisan, I've expressed discontent right recently about the Republican Party, not because I'm not a Republican, but because I just was really honest. Look, knowing what it takes right now to get elected in a primary, I couldn't do that because I couldn't do the things I think that are really required to get elected. Mm -hmm. What I want to focus on in my elections in Fort Worth is how do you bring more people to the polls that should be more engaged in civic government to understand what's happening in their city, to get excited about what's happening in Fort Worth. And you have to mine the data. You have to focus on new voters. It's not going to be traditional municipal voters. It's not going to be traditional 4R or 4Ds. You know, mm -hmm. you have to bring more people out. And there is a science behind that. There's also an expense behind it. I do think media could play a better part unless they're getting paid somehow, it's really difficult to get them to engage the voters because right. they know there's still usually a payday on the other end. And that's in print. And that's also in television. I think that's why I wanted to start a podcast. It's free. So, you know, to try to reach people and get them excited about what's going on in their city. And I'm still struggling with that because most people don't go to a city council meeting on Tuesday and they shouldn't have to, but mm -hmm. they should know what's going on and how do I do that better. So t time will tell. I'm thinking about a few things in, in advance of next cycle of what I could do differently to get people engaged, especially in, you know, last election was interesting because you'd had a 10-year incumbent that wasn't running against. So there was a lot of enhanced interest in the, in the mayor's race as well. So. Yeah, that's true. So back to the, the math piece and, and Twitter and, and just sort of those outliers there. And I, this is going to be the last super deep one. And then we're going to, we're going to back it up for a second, but I, I'm fired up from this conference that I was at because it talked a lot about this. And there's a book I'm going to get you called the, it's called Collective Illusions by Dr. Rose. And it, it's this study of how much of our thinking about each other is formed by false assumptions. Mm -hmm. And so they went and did this study, I think it was in upstate New York, of this small little town. And this was a pretty long time ago, but it's the basis of the book. And they figured out that 
when asked about an issue or a vote or something important to that community, their answer in public was much different than when they were asked in private. Mm. Simple things like this was long enough ago where, you know, that there was still the question of, of when you play cards, could they have the face cards on there of the royalty going back to the United Kingdom? And no, 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 we wouldn't do that at all. And then you go in their house and they're drinking whiskey and they're playing with these cards and it's a different thing. <laughs> so if we think about these collective illusions and you fast forward it to today and the massive amount of information we're almost required now to consume just to form an opinion. Mm. And whether that you mentioned, you know, the utilization of social media in politics is incredibly important, but you know, look at Donald Trump on Twitter and look at how that transformed the way that you can communicate with hundreds of millions of followers in one tweet. And then inside Twitter now, you've got the ability to take the outliers of information and retweet them so many times that the algorithm makes them the first yeah. in your newsfeed, and that's what you're reading. So in thinking about all that, and I know I'm going deep mm -hmm. on you, I mean, how do we eradicate these collective illusions and get back to the middle and consensus and working together? Oh, that's hard. Well, first of all, I, I need to confirm this, but I read somewhere that the percentage of people on Twitter that are U.S. Americans, it's like 10%. So 10% of Americans are actually frequent users of Twitter. We're talking wow. a small universe, right? right? And we talk about the Twitterverse all the time. So we need to confirm that stat, Michael, but it's it's not high. Um, we're going to Google over here. Yeah, we'll, yeah we'll, we'll fix it. So the point is, and how do you bring people together in a new and different way and put ideas out there? And the, the hard thing is, it's so easy. If you tweet one thing, right? Or you put something on Instagram or Facebook, it gets twisted immediately. Mm -hmm. And to your point, those collective assumptions get read into all those posts. The only way you change that is in real interactions in person with people. And actually, your podcast is a great way to do that too, right? These are longer form interviews and questions to get to know someone. I It's actually one of my least favorite parts about being mayor is having to deal with the assumptions. Mm -hmm. I like bunking them. I like interacting with someone for the first time in person, like, oh, you're a lot different than I assumed, or I thought you were such and such, and I assumed this. And then they get to meet me and they realize none of that's true. And I think we're just, as humans, we're going to have to work much harder on that because yeah. the the stretch of what what's available to you in your phones, I mean, think about this. This thing is essentially a walking computer, right? right? This is more, I mean, this is more than we've ever had in the history of mankind available information to us and our all everyone is stuck in this device walking around and it follows you everywhere you go right so it limits your human interactions and i think as elected officials politicians we're all guilty of if you post it then it's done mm -hmm. like i've now interacted with the public i've now told them what's going on you cannot replace human interaction with people and being out in community and i think we all are going to have to work really hard on that i do think lucky for me when you have kids and I have a five-year-old and 11-year-old, my world is out all the time right. just to be with them, right? So it does keep me from being more isolated than if you're in a different stage in life, then you don't have that same routine and you can kind of get isolated to 
official events or something on Mm -hmm. Twitter. Mm -hmm. So I think we're going to have to work on it together and hold ourselves to a higher standard over time. No, certainly from from my perspective, Maddie, and just watching your maturation as mayor, you are a, and we talked about this a lot with with Mayor Price on the on the podcast as well. You are a a mayor of the people, and you're out there, and you're doing a really good job. John, Thank did you. you have something? Uh, the research says that 23 percent of U.S. adults say that they're supporting a woman politician. Interesting. Just okay. Okay. There you go. I was wrong. 23 percent. Still small amount. Very yeah. small amount. Yeah. Okay. So to the here and now and in Fort Worth and this long sort of assumption that we were like the, the best kept secret in Texas, you're doing a very good job of telling that secret to the world. But I, I loved in an, in an article that I read about you, you know, at least early on in your role, you described Fort Worth is like a teenager. Mm-hmm. And so how are, how are we growing up? Give us your yeah. vision. Well, I use that example and I don't even know if I really explained why I think that, but I've had a teenager. So <laughs> when you have a teenager, you're struggling. You're like, I really don't want them to grow up. I really, this, this is really hard. This stage is really hard. What's next? But you kind of have to accept the reality. This, this person is growing into a young adult and how do I support them into young adulthood, Right. So as a city, I think for Fort Worth, we are the fastest growing city in the country. Mm-hmm. I still interact with people often in Fort Worth. They're like, gotta stop growing. We gotta, we gotta stop that. No more people. Like they're already coming. So as a community, we have to be much more intentional about telling our story, who we are, so that the people that are moving here immediately feel a, far, a part of our fabric mm-hmm. and understand our history and our heritage, which makes us really special we were talking about earlier how kind we are as a city, how welcoming. We can't lose that. Right. And at the same time, be willing to recognize we also have to make progress and be a city that is has strong education systems, economic development, and we have the infrastructure to support being the 12th largest city in the country. That's a balancing act. Because sometimes, I'm sure you have examples of this too. You're like, man, we are blowing and going. We're a big city. And then someone will have to be like, no, we act real small. Right. And I, But to counter what people's concerns are, the way you maintain a small community feel and that small town feel that Fort Worth is known for is by doing what we're doing. You maintain the integrity and the individuality of neighborhoods and districts in the city to be who they want to be and not dictate. Mm-hmm. So think about how many unique places you have in the city. Near, near North Side, North Side, Stockyards, near South Side, Race Street, Stop 6, Ridgely North. All these areas are unique. And as a city, if you support that uniqueness in a way, you want them to continue to be that way. You allow people in Fort Worth to choose their neighborhoods for Mm -hmm. what fits what they want, the stage in life they're in, et cetera. And you also make sure you have mixed income housing and different types of housing so that all types of people can live in all different types of the city, parts of the city. You'll maintain what makes Fort Worth really special. And I think cities that missed that that, that sort of bulldoze over history or the integrity of a community, that's when you have to worry about it. But I think overall, we're doing a really great job. And I can give you really specific examples. I mean, think about, I mentioned near Southside, think about South Main and the infrastructure investment the city made in South Main Street that also created redevelopment and reinvestment in older buildings along right. that area that's now completely revitalized, Right. 
look at Camp Bowie right now. You have two five-star world-class hotels going in on the bricks Mm -hmm. and they are doing so in a way that fits the fabric of that area of our city as well. Look at Stop 6 in Gina Bivens District. And and that has had careful consideration about the history of Stop 6 and the redevelopment of Cavill Place. But at the same time, it will still be Stop 6 and be redeveloped in a way that I think is, is conscious of the history of that place. Those are the things we have to do to keep Fort Worth, Fort Worth. And I think there's no, right now, there's no sign of that changing. And I'm really proud of not not what you're seeing right now by leadership, but the leaders that came before us as well to make sure we were on the right track. Well, like you, you know, I'm an outsider to Fort Worth. I've been here 20 years, okay. so I, I certainly what call brought it you home. here? My wife's family. Okay. Yeah. Good answer, right? Yeah. And and so, but I feel like it it really does have this this momentum that it's changing more in probably the last five years than the first 15 I was here. And so, and and Johnny made me aware of this earlier this year with this podcast now piercing into the the top 50% of all podcasts listened to in, in all 50 states and what Johnny now 10 or 11 different international countries. Like Very cool. If we're, thank you. If we're selling Fort Worth to the world, what are we selling? What's our value proposition? Yeah, I think, First of all, quality of life in American cities is the number one priority, especially in a post-COVID environment. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are Americans fleeing coastal cities in the hundreds of thousands, oftentimes to states like Texas and Florida and Georgia and others. And they want to be in cities like Fort Worth. Fort Worth is now part of this, this, this story of North Texas, right? We, we are a part of the North Texas Miracle we will soon soon be the third largest metro passing Chicago in the next several years. You're also next to DFW Airport, so you can be anywhere in the world, usually in a direct flight, right? Third busiest airport in the in the entire world. So all that to say, the the story for us trying to tell is a city that I think is respectful of our history and what got us to this place, but also a city that's ready to grow and progress into the next phase. Um, We have this rich history in defense manufacturing and aviation, oil and gas. We're an incredibly diverse economy. I think our next step really is to invest in talent, both in talent of people recruitment, but also in talent and sit in classrooms across Fort Worth and Tarrant County as well. And I I talked about this a lot during the campaign too. Stop worrying so much about what's happening in Dallas and Frisco and Plano and care just as much in this digital economy, what's happening in other places, you know, Berlin or London or wherever across the world. Because because of technology, our businesses, our success story can really reach a multitude of different areas across the world. And we need to keep that in mind as we grow and, pro- and, and prosper. I think for Fort Worth as well, though, we have lived in the shadow of other cities in Texas. Mm-hmm. We didn't tell our story well enough. And so now it's really up to us to be much more intentional about how we recruit and how we continue to grow. There has always been this emphasis in Fort Worth too and other cities to or in corporate recruitment. There's nothing wrong with that. We love to land a big fish and mm-hmm. have them in Fort Worth, right? But I think if we pivot and focus on talent and being a place where everyone, regardless of your stage in life, wants to live and build a family and build a business, then you're telling the right story, right? Then you're building the fabric of a city that anybody wants to live in and then the big fish will follow. Mm-hmm. And I think- we can look to others' examples of cities that have maybe grown really fast and struggled with their identity. You know, Austin's a good example, which right. I still love that city. And I, you know, I laugh when people trash on it, but because it's a really fantastic place. 
But they people that live there would tell you we're really struggling here. You know, congestion, cost of living, who we are as a community. We're kind of lost sight of that. So how do you learn from a city like Austin and also recognize that that growth is here, right, in right. Fort Worth, but we also want to protect who we are as a community? So going back to little Maddie Parker mm-hmm. in, in Heiko, Texas, tell us what it was like growing up out there and how that shaped and defined and, and created the person that you are today. Yeah. So I was raised on our family farm about, we're in between Glen Rose and Heiko on 220, mm-hmm. just past Rough Creek. It was property that my grandfather's parents owned. And and I, so I guess I'm technically fourth generation raised in that house. So our farmhouse was, it's like 1500 square feet, no central air and heat. We had propane heaters as a kid. It still do. My mm-hmm. mom still lives there. And it was just a really quaint way to grow up. You know, we were two miles down a dirt road and I went to Heiko schools. I technically should have gone to Iredale. We transferred into Heiko. I started there in kindergarten. My parents moved from San Marcos before I started kinder because my dad had a law practice. He wanted to move and be a small town lawyer. My mom really didn't want to move back home, but it worked out that way. My mom had been a professional ballerina for Austin Civic Ballet. And then she um, had a small dance studio in Heiko that served that entire rural area, which I... I compliment her now. She's now 72, still dancing, by the way, still takes ballet lessons. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. is. She's still, she's um, still very active. And I, she had a world-class dance studio in the middle of nowhere. And I think she charged $25 a month for dance lessons, wow. which if any parent has paid for dance lessons lately, <laughs> that is a steal. And she's usually had lots of students. So my existence was real different. Like I was in a small town, but my dad had a law practice mostly criminal and family law. So all kinds of kinds came through his doors and my mom's dance studio was next door. And then my grandparents were a huge part of my life. I was with them all the time. My, my grandfather at the time, had just retired as the principal of Heiko High School. My cousins were all there. We're all very close. So small town kid, truly. And I was, I was lucky though, but my parents are college educated. So I always knew I was going to go to college. My parents divorced and it was, I was, guess I was in junior high, mm-hmm. really rough divorce process. And so I was, I was pretty independent and I had really great teachers and was really involved and knew I wanted to go to UT and got to go because of student loans and, and grants and work study and worked all my way through school, which I'm thankful for. It wasn't always easy, but I'm glad I did it. Yeah. And, but this was not I, politics. I didn't have a fancy last name. My grandfather had been involved in politics. He actually was a state representative in Temple. And then he worked for LBJ, he was an um, assistant attorney general in Texas but he had since passed away. He passed away when I was four. So I never really had no exposure to that. And that wasn't until I met Speaker Craddock and worked in the uh, Texas Capitol my junior year of college. So all that to say, I really am just a small town kid. We still go to the farm. We just were lucky to buy a place next to my family place. Oh, so we'll go great. there a lot to kind of get yeah. away from the city. And But I I've often tell people, I think that upbringing is valuable almost every minute of every day of how you treat people mm-hmm. and how you want to be treated. And that in a small town, you just kind of take care of each other. And I do think Fort Worth has that quality. I do think we want to just take care of each other as best we can and kind of find your your tribe. And and I think that's something that I want us to hold on to as well. And your your grandmother was kind of a fire plug too, right? I mean, yeah, didn't she have a role them. in the in the US Navy? Yeah. Or, so yeah. my my paternal grandmother, Barbara was her name, Piercy. She was a US Navy wave during World War II. Wow. And so she actually trained pilots on new technical equipment that were going in planes at the time. And that's how she met my grandfather, who was a pilot. Um, so 
yes, definitely a firecracker. She would, she's the one person of all my loved ones that have since passed away. I really wish she'd still been alive because she would have loved this. Yeah. Like she would, she would, I've got this great picture off to send you of her in the Veterans Day Parade in Austin. She got to be the front, like the grand dom of the parade. Yeah. And, and she was just this really politically active. She was a strong Democrat. So that I think she would struggle with. We used to joke about politics a little bit when I was working for Republicans in the, in the Capitol because she was alive during that time mm-hmm. period. But she was always very active. She would walk door to door for candidates she believed in. So maybe that's where I got a lot of that. She's the one person I wish, man, she would have loved this. She well, would, she's watching. And she smiling. totally I is. Yeah. She totally that. is. Yeah. 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 So in thinking about, because we've talked about this on the podcast before, just the the environment in which you grow up in influence and shaping you, who you become, that that small hometown, mm-hmm. know everybody involved in the community obviously had an impact, but now you're the mayor of the 12th largest city. So we've got a lot more people here. How do we, how do we create that sense of community where everybody comes together and feels like they belong to something bigger and are engaged and proud of this city? Yeah. I think especially after COVID, it's more important than ever because people Mm -hmm. felt so isolated for two years. I think the things that you're seeing, honestly, in Fort Worth, there's no excuse not to be involved. There is something for everyone there. I do think the thing in Fort Worth that we need to refocus on is how we um, are really supporting our students and our youngest. Whether your kid goes to private school or charter school or public school or homeschool, I do not care. What I want is all kids to have access to a quality education. And the reality is a lot of our families are struggling and they do need more support. And our schools is a good connectivity point for that. Mm -hmm. So regardless of who you are, what you're doing in business, whether you have kids or not, you know, ask yourself the question, how are you supporting the next generation of Fort Worth kids and how to support them differently? I think that's really important. Do we have the right support systems for all families? And then, you know, in terms of being involved in Fort Worth, just pick your poison. Like what, what, what moves you? What do you want to be involved in? And I, I know that there is something for everyone in the city, which is incredibly unique and a place where my experience has been as a young person moving to Fort Worth when I was in my early 20s you know, what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. How can I be supportive of you? I mean, I would not be here talking to you about being mayor of Fort Worth if that weren't true. You know, I didn't, I don't have a fancy last name. I'm not from here, right? I didn't yeah. have a bunch of money and people and connections, but this city was really great to David and I when we moved here and supported mm-hmm. us in so many different phases of life, highs and lows to help us get to this place. And so I think that pay it forward attitude has to continue for us to have success in the city. Another book, if you're interested in that, I'll that I'll pass your way is called something like the the hardest job in the world, and it's this deep dive into several different presidencies mm. and how difficult that is, and really this idea of like four quadrants that you know whether it's your your staff or or anybody else working with you know that only certain things can be elevated to that top quadrant because as the mayor of the 12th largest city, you can't deal with everything, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was at a breakfast recently for downtown business owners and you were asked a a pretty tough question that I really, I, I just wanted to stand up and clap on your answer because I loved how you said, well, there are 16 square, I might get the bathroom yeah. here, but 16 yeah. square blocks of downtown Fort Worth. There are 72. And if we're only focused yeah. on 16, then nobody wins. Right. 
So back to this this idea that our city is maturing and and coming into its call it 2.0 or 3.0. What are we focused on next and and how do we get there? So I've talked about a few of them, but let me start with education. And I won't spend a lot of time, but I want everyone to understand the state of Texas, the number one focus we should have right now is how we're educating our students. We are way behind, mm-hmm. right? And and honestly, urban environments across the country, this is all true for. But right now in Fort Worth, our literacy levels have really not improved to a degree that's really sustainable, in my opinion. Third grade reading still matters. Whether a kid can do algebra in middle school still matters. And I think for Fort Worth, we've gotten so caught up in, I mentioned earlier, where where a student goes to school, what options are available to them, quit fighting over it. Every kid deserves a chance to have a high quality of education. And it matters to your bottom line as a business owner, right? When only 23% of our students are making it to a two-year or four-year diploma after graduation of high school within six years. And by the way, 70% of jobs require some type of post-secondary credential. You can't keep up. Mm-hmm. And I've always been frustrated even before I was mayor there's always been this emphasis on minimum wage. Quit talking about minimum wage. Like, how are we going to make sure that the kids that are in classrooms right now will make a living wage and have a career path agnostic of whether they go to a four university? I do not think every student needs to or should go to four-year college. And by the way, we are proving that and the jobs that are available right now do not require a four-year degree. Right. It's oftentimes a highly technical training or certification right out of high school. In fact, this week, we're going to celebrate our early college high school graduates in Fort Worth. These are high school students that graduate at the same time from TCC with a college degree, a mm-hmm. two-year degree, as to do a high school diploma and can use those two years to go on to four-year. They can go right into the workforce, whatever it is. That is a huge ROI. I want every student in Fort Worth to have that opportunity. There's no excuse. If you can infuse it for those kids, you can do it for all of them. You have to completely rethink education in Fort Worth. And it's it's all about education and workforce. It's all linked together. We've been talking about it for a long time, but I won't feel successful until we're really on a path to change that for students here in Fort Worth. The second area is I've, I've, I touched on a little bit too, uh, is really around economic development. What do we want to be when we grow up? What kind of companies and people do we want to recruit? How do we really support entrepreneurs and small business in this city in a meaningful way? And make sure you have an environment where anyone can thrive regardless of background or how much money they bring in and supporting their ideas and moving forward. And also being a place that wants to recruit the right type of business to the city, being really intentional and proactive rather than reactive. Like, don't just fill out the next RFP for the next big deal, right? Ask the tough questions. Do we really want to be the next Amazon headquarters, right? That was a big debate at the time when that was going on. Mm-hmm. Ask those questions about the next companies that are relocating across the country and making sure they fit the fabric of our city and that we have the workforce to support them, et cetera. The other thing is every every city um, that's growing and thriving, you have to have world-class infrastructure. And I'm really glad that we passed our bond election. I know over 66% was focused on mobility, infrastructure, transportation. What the future of public transportation looks like in Fort Worth is still a big question mark for people. I understand that. Texas continues to struggle with that. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're still a pretty predominant cars and trucks kind of community. How do autonomous vehicles, air taxis change the model into the future? I think those are all things we're going to have to work on together. And I'm, I'm ex- I am I'm encouraged about where we are. I think we're also very lucky to be a part of the North Central Texas Council of Governments led by Michael Morris and how they deploy funds. And then lastly, I would just say, as, as Fort Worth continues to grow and prosper, we also need to, to, to take warning of what it looks like to be an affordable place to live. And we're, we're an okay place right now, but you understand that the average Fort Worth family 
to have a sustainable living, they only can spend about 30% of their income on housing. Mm -hmm. And that's not true for our low-income families right now. And so what does it look like to make sure you have affordable housing that's not just fully subsidized, that's your workforce housing for your teachers or police officers, et cetera, that make a decent living, but they sometimes can't afford to live in the inner city. And Fort Worth's at a good timing right now, in my opinion, to take care of that and think about it long-term versus and kind of learn from the lessons of other big cities as well. And that would be through creating more of it, yeah. right? Because there's just not enough. Yeah, available. density of housing, yeah. exactly. Like different types of housing. You know, there's there's a lot of things you can do that we haven't really explored yet that Fort Worth is going to have to maybe learn from some other large cities on. And we don't have to pick, we can pick and choose from a menu of options mm-hmm. to see. You can still protect single family housing, but also make sure you have, I mean, there are a lot of people complain about apartments. I'm like, guys, you can have a young workforce in Fort Worth, a thriving place to live. If you don't have apartments, exactly. you're going to have to get over it. Yep. Um, I, I love asking people, well, did you live in an apartment at one point? <laughs> they always raised their hands. Sure. Yes, they yeah. did. Yes, they and did. actually enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, sometimes yeah. Dave and I wish we were in an apartment. Right. We could just call the maintenance guy to come fix whatever was wrong. Well, and you know, to another point you made <laughs> at that breakfast, which I wanted to stand up and clap, is the the upside down aspect of the the tax rate or the base or commercial between base, commercial yeah. and, and yeah. residential and and certainly needing to fix that because I think as you think about the amount of money it takes to own a home and then you add our effective tax rate on top of that, it really gets out of reach. Yeah. And, you know, most people don't have the ability to just pay that once at the end of mm-hmm. the year. They got to think about it every month in order to be ready to do that. Right. So. Yeah. Property taxes continues to be a really difficult topic in Texas. I always try to remind people a few things. First of all, in Texas, we're a two-legged stool, right? We don't have an income tax. We're never going to have an income tax. Mm -hmm. So this is how we fund our state. Secondly, is in the city of Fort Worth, all we have are property taxes and sales taxes. We don't receive any subsidy from the state of Texas on how to fund the city government. In Fort Worth, I think we've done an excellent job of trying to stabilize the rate as much as possible, being under the caps that the legislature has passed in the last several sessions. And your tax bill, my tax bill, about one third, if not less, is city taxes. So think about what you get for that, right? The most of the debate this next session is going to be around school property taxes and what the legislature does or doesn't do to buy down those property taxes that are about half of our property tax bills in Fort Worth, regardless of which school district you belong to. Mm -hmm. So that's a predominant conversation. And then the way protests work, commercial value versus residential value, who's protesting successfully. That's a lot of discussion that we don't have control over at the city level. The legislature really has to dictate that in the appraisal process, which is really confusing. But it is important for Fort Worth to continue to focus on commercial attraction to to stabilize the tax rate and take less pressure off of our residential um, rooftops homeowners that right now it's like 60% of the property taxes are now from residential in Fort Worth. We got to change that. So bringing it back up kind of high level, Maddie Parker, I love that you you said, you know, being almost the the CEO of the board is kind of, I mean, you are running a business. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm reminded of this Ronald Reagan quote that said, all great change in America begins at the dinner table. Mm-hmm. And so as we think about being, whether it's it's in politics or or in business, you know, leaders, like how do we bring that community back where we are willing to sit down at the dinner table and discuss the tough topics and and move ahead? Yeah. 
Well, if you unpack what he said, and I've heard that quote before, it also refers to the family unit Mm -hmm. and how you're supporting families to be healthy and prosperous and supportive of one another and asking the hard question, you know, how many kids in Fort Worth don't have a dinner table to sit at? Right. Who's sitting across from them? And what do we do? You can't, you can't and shouldn't as government, you don't, I wouldn't want them to interfere in my daily life and have a glimpse inside my front door, but sometimes families need support. Mm -hmm. So what does that look like as a community to help recognize that those kids, those families, those single moms, those single fathers, they need help and to create the dinner table for their family because it all does start there. And think about how important that is in your own household, mm-hmm. right? To, to gather around a table and talk about the hard things in your day. Those are really, those are really small, but probably the most important moments in a family. If you think about that same example in a community, we do have the ability in Fort Worth to reach across the aisle and learn from one another. It's probably why I ran. Mm-hmm. Like when I saw what was happening and no disrespect to anybody else running, I always said, I'm not running against anybody. I'm running for my city. I did not see those qualities in someone that wasn't going to bring politics first to the door, mm-hmm. wasn't worried about the next office first. This, you, the climbers are not effective leaders. You have to be really, really happy where you are and focused on the job. And how do I, as a mayor, create that environment that President Reagan talked about? Like if that's the most important you know, how America is really built around a dinner table. If Fort Worth is the dinner table, who are we inviting to the table? Right. You know, are you, are you really welcome to all? Are you really in a, in a place where every entrepreneur, every type of person, regardless of where they move from their skin color, et cetera, their political beliefs are welcome in the city. And I think for us, I loved the slogan that Visit Fort Worth came up with a few years ago that y'all means all. Mm -hmm. We need to keep that in mind in Fort Worth, right? And so maybe I'll kind of play with that idea a little bit. I love that quote. And I think it's very true and probably more important than ever, frankly, as you kind of watch the fracturing of people. And I love the example we're setting at council, you know, that we have some people on our council that probably ideologically very different than me, but we work together. We love each other. We're going to try to find consensus wherever possible. So before we move to the closing question that I ask on on all these podcasts, I want to go back to something you said because it's it actually strikes really near and dear to to my heart, which is if you look at what it takes to get into politics or or run a campaign, like why on earth would you subject yourself to that? And so for people that are listening that may have that political curiosity but are afraid, like, you know, whatever, I made some bad choices in college, or I I know that my background and my family are going to be exposed to those that want to research it. But they do have that quality and that DNA to serve. Like, I love that you said that. What would you tell people looking to get into politics of why they should pursue that curiosity and do it? Yeah. Well, I think first of all is, how do you want to serve? right? You don't have to be in elected office to serve your community. And so I, sometimes I find people like relieved by that. Mm-hmm. Like you, just because you're not throwing your name on a ballot does not mean you're not serving your city. I mean, I interact with people on a daily basis that are way more important than me in Fort Worth in terms of what they're doing for this community. They're quiet servant leaders in their churches and their nonprofits in their businesses. And they are continually giving back with no notoriety or notice. And they are special and that we have to have those people. You also have to have people that are willing to sacrifice and and argue and fight 
for the city that they love or the state or wherever they want to serve. As much as we love to trash on members of Congress, we have to have members of Congress to have a functioning democracy. Right. So maybe sometimes get off Twitter and hating on who's in Congress and think about what they're doing every day. And if you want to interact with them, ask the question, like, what are you working on that I can be involved in? Or how can I be more knowledgeable? And then I think for those that are maybe afraid, I will say, I do tell young people this a lot. Not everything needs to go on Snapchat or Instagram. (laughs) Now, everything in your life is permanent. And there are certain things that you can't erase, right? For me, I didn't really worry about that. I've always been a little bit boring, frankly. So I didn't really have much there. But my family's not perfect. There was plenty of stuff there to unpack for my parents that I worried about. But I think, honestly, that for me, and, and my advice to other people is just find where your niche is. Like, what? how do you want to serve in Fort Worth or your community and be involved? And there's no substitute for experience. I always tell young people, go intern in a government office. Even if you're a finance major and you're going to go work for a big bank, it will help you. I promise you have that experience and exposure to government and public service in some way or form. But it is, it's not for the faint at heart, mm-hmm. you know, and you kind of have to accept some of the day asked me, did you see such and such on Facebook about you? I was like, mm-mm, yeah. mm-mm, did not. You want me to say, nope, I don't want you to say nope. it to me. I'm good. <laughs> no, turning it off is is probably step one. Yeah. But it has just become such an integral part of communication and, and messaging, right, wrong, or yeah. different. So. Let me ask you this. How do you think someone like me should communicate the daily, just even if it's the mundane on what's happening in Fort Worth? I think what you're doing is resonating. I mean, more people are paying attention to the mayor's office and the challenges that you have, at least from a my peer group perspective okay. and, and business leaders in Fort Worth. Like we're very focused on listening to what you're doing and where this city's heading because it can directly positively or negatively impact what we're trying to do. Right. So you've got the attention of of the business community. And I think it's it's your authenticity mm-hmm. and your sense of purpose and just you're intentional about everything that you're doing. I don't hear your responses and think, okay, well, that's what most politicians would say. Like you're speaking yeah. from the heart. So I think just continue to do that and have a huge amount of transparency. Mm-hmm. And I love that the, you know, the climbers don't make effective long-term politicians, right? So I we hope, read right through them. Yeah. I hope that you'll stick around with your mission and what yeah. you're doing here for a long time because you're building something that really is on the forefront of of transforming the city. You know, and then just just speak from the heart and run into the bullets rather than running away from them. Right. Yeah. Tackle the issues and don't skirt it or think, well, I don't want to do that right now because I've got an election coming up. Mm-hmm. Right. I think you're doing all those things. You're doing yeah. a great job. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. No, thank you. So if you've listened to this podcast before, you'll know the the question that's coming at the end. And it's this saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know. But we turn it around and say it's not who you know, it's who knows you. And so in thinking about constituents, city council, business leaders, business owners, Companies looking to move here. I mean, everything that we've touched on today, what do you want them to know about you? Oh, that's a good one. Well, first of all, I think that is totally why I'm here. 
that when I think about my service in Fort Worth, I've, I've always been in public service since I lived here, other than a short stint working in a law firm. And when I decided to run all the people that I had helped or worked with or campaigned with or you know, help their kid out of Mexico in the State Department or work for Kay's office, whoever it was, mm-hmm. came out of the woodwork. And it wasn't who I knew, it's who knew me. And if I had been, I had been a genuinely good person and helped people, they wanted to help me, right? So just remember that kids, like it always comes full circle. Karma is really real. And I do believe that truly. Some people ask me something bad's going to happen or they'll ask me about a controversial issue. I'm like, look, karma, yep. sounds simple, but it all comes back around. So just keep doing what you're doing. Um, in terms of the question really was specific on who I know or what I think about in the future of Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. There are a bench of incredible leaders in this city. The most important thing I can do is make sure I'm passing the torch, right? Inspiring the next generation of leaders, getting the next mayors and council members and zoning commissioners or nonprofit leaders inspired to lead and be included in that conversation. Because I do think for Fort Worth, one thing that held us back for a while was we didn't pass the torch. Mm -hmm. We just stayed stagnant. And a really well-known leader here in the city who helped inspire me to run, an older gentleman said, shame on us. Like the generation ahead of you isn't running because we didn't pass the torch fast enough. Mm -hmm. We didn't prepare them. We didn't move over. And so now you at 37 are the one that's going to run when it really should have been, think about it, somebody in their late 40s or 50s to run for mayor. And so I, I don't want to make that same mistake twice. And so keeping things fresh, new ideas, exciting things about the future and the city. And that's, that's a requirement of this job, I think, that keeps me inspired to do it and remember why you would you know, be here in the first place. So Fort Worth is flush with talent of people. And, and so it's up to us to make sure the table is full and we're, and we're really inspiring those people to stay in the city and be the next generation of leaders. Well, this has been an insightful, inspiring, touching, and motivating hour. And Thanks, we really Michael. appreciate you good sitting down. Good to be down. with you. Good way to start a Monday, for yeah, sure. Great mm-hmm. way to be with you, too. Thank Hope you. you'll come back. I'll come back anytime. Absolutely. Thank you so Thanks much. so much. Take care. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of The Climb. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing. And if you know someone who you would think would enjoy the podcast, feel free to share this with them. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.